0: Well, welcome back, y'all. If you're here for the first time, thanks for coming. And if you're not, we're in the middle of a series right now. This is our fifth week in a series that we are calling Called to Follow. And um, the series is based on the commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples to go into all the world and make other disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, um, and, And in this commissioning, in this great commission, he, uh, he said to go and make disciples, not just Christians. And I think that it's funny because in our culture, we know a lot about Christians. We don't know a lot about disciples. And the difference is a disciple is not just someone who believes in Jesus, but is trying to become like Jesus. So it's not part of our culture to do this pattern of discipleship. But it was in their era, and I wonder if that's why Jesus came in this day. Because in this era, when Jesus would have come, the, the hope of someone becoming a disciple was that you would make someone that takes on your identity, your mannerisms, your belief, and would become like you in the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation to come. It's why Jesus was able to take 12 people, Teach him all of his principles, his beliefs, the way he acts and reacts. And now we've taken those 12 people to more than a billion people on the face of the earth. It's the process of discipleship. But we don't know much about it, and so we're talking about discipleship. And so over the last five weeks, with the first week we talked about the call of discipleship, the cost of it. And and man, when Jesus laid it out there in Luke 14, really cool stuff in Luke 14. We talked about this five weeks ago. The cost of discipleship. And man, it's heavy. And he basically said, look, if you guys want to follow me, it's cool. There's thousands of you. But you need to know what the price is before you buy in. Because it's, it's, it's a lot. I love the way Billy Graham said it. Salvation is free. Discipleship costs everything. If you want to become like Jesus, you're not going to just do it in the air conditioning, listening to a cute sermon today. Like, thank you for coming. But to become like Jesus is going to require effort. And, uh, man, it, it's cost me my whole life, and, and I'm still messing it up. And uh, sh- anyways, here we go. So week two, we talked about uh, the Word of God and how important it is. Listen, please. I know that podcasts are cool. I know that sermons are cool nowadays. I think sermons are cool, and they speak to me. But you cannot be a disciple of Jesus listening to sermons. What I mean by that is that the word of God speaks to you. It's the number one way God still speaks to his people. It, the word of God will convict you far more than you listening and agreeing with what I'm about to say today. If you read his word, it will, dir- it will lamp onto your feet, direct your path. It will convict you, fix you, help you, encourage you, equip you. It will set you up on your journey. You need the word. Week three, we talked about hunger. You can't be a follower of Jesus Without hunger. Why is this important? Because as a student of anything in your life, if you're not hungry for it, you ain't learning it. You can retain it for a moment. Think about calculus for a second. How many of you ever loved learning calculus? (laughs) Boo this man right here. (laughs) Instantly, it's information in, information out, unless you're passionate about it. But when you're passionate about it, it's something that you want to learn you're consuming it and it changes you hunger Four. we talked about prayer my my beautiful bride spoke last week and uh i'm a little discouraged with how many of you encouraged her last week after the message because i don't get that from y'all i get yeah hey good job shorter next time huh no i'm just kidding no one says that uh Uh, Except for the nursery workers. Uh, Here we go. So uh, last week we talked about prayer. And uh, what I love about all of these things that we talked about so far is all of the disciples struggled and did not master all of these things when Christ was still walking on earth. And just about everything we're going to talk about in this series are things that when you hear prayer, you're like, "Ah, man need to get that one better. Oh, i read the word. Oh, I need to get that one better. And like things like this. And so today we're going to talk about a subject that I believe you're also going to struggle with. And I want you to know when Jesus called the disciples, he did not call the elite of the elite Christians. He called people that weren't really good at it. And he's making them better. And, the, and so that's what's happening here today. He is calling people that would say, I'm not good at this. And he's calling you to another level. And I think that's what's going to happen over the course of this hour. 30 minutes is what I meant. Here we go. Cool. Uh, All right, cool. The the nursery workers are going on strike next week. Um, This sermon, I was not planning. I placed it into this week's teaching because of some things that happened last week. I'll explain that in a minute. We're talking about fear this week and about fear influences our life. I don't know if you realize it, but we live in a day and an era right now that is unlike any other day and era in the world where you are literally surrounded by the reality of how imperfect and how ungreat you are at everything you do. Television channels, commercials, billboards, everything can remind you of how you don't have the perfect head to toe you're, you don't have the perfect i q you don't have everything around you is great, and you are somewhere down the ladder and This is hard then to 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 feel the confidence to rise up and have the boldness to do anything. For God, who is the best of the best, I mean, God is the creator of the known world. Like, how in the world can I do anything for him when he is awesome and infinite and perfect and I, like, can't we call someone else down the road to do what he's about to, like, why me? And I see this in everyone in church history, like Moses, the dude who split the Red Sea, said, God, really, me? Me? Elijah, really me? Isaiah, really me? Like all of these people are like, God, if there's someone else that you can get to do this, sign them up. But we need a generation of people that would, that would be hungry enough to say, I want to, I want to have it, God. I want to do great things for you in this generation. So we're talking about fear today. Fear starts with insecurities. They start with a what if. They start with a question, and then you mirror it outside of the word of God, and it magnifies, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I want you to know that most of the stuff that you're afraid of is valid. Like, I don't want to make you feel that your feelings or your thoughts or your concerns aren't real. Like, and they, they sh- I, I understand. Hmm. Multiple times in scriptures we see the disciples dealing with fear. I'm going to give you a couple situations. One, Jesus is walking to them in the middle of the night. They're in a boat in a storm and he's walking on water in the middle of a storm. They're freaking out of their mind. First of all they say they think they think they see a ghost. It's not a ghost, it's Jesus. Peter's like, man, that's fantastic. I want to do that. The rest of the disciples are like, no, I'm staying in the boat. Makes sense. How many of the other people here would stay in the boat? And this is a problem. It's a lot of the reasons why we are where we are, because we need to figure out how to get out of the boat. Peter then gets out of the boat, and he's walking on water. He realizes, I'm walking on water. This is terrifying And he's about to drown. Fear. There's another time in the water where there's a big storm. Jesus, not worried at all, he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And the scripture actually says to go on to say this far with his head on a pillow. That just bothers me that they add a pillow. Like it, add, that not only is Jesus not afraid, but he's comfortable, you know. And everyone else is terrified, and God is relaxing right now. Like, um, and uh, and they're they're afraid. They wake him up, and he he actually rebukes all of them. Well, I don't know. I mean, I kind of feel valid, like a disciple would be, if I'm in a small boat, not the Titanic, not a cruise ship, and there's a storm. I feel like I'm going to die. I'm going to panic a little bit. Anyone else? And, um, and he rebukes them and says, How, where's your faith? Rise up. And uh, I'm like, man, that's terrible. That, I feel like Jesus is mean sometimes. And then, so then there's this other story. I love this. Jesus tells the disciples who have given up their life, left their families, their homes, their professions, their trade to follow Jesus. He tells them, I'm about to die, and I'm going to leave you guys. Peter, trying to build confidence, looks at him and says, No, Jesus, not you. you you're not going to die. And Jesus looks over at Peter, and he rebukes him and says, Satan, get behind me. First of all, it's not so cool that the, the leader of the known church in a month from now, he just called Satan. You know what I mean? like... <laughs> um, not good. Uh, but he, 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 Peter is terrified that he's going to lose the one that he's trying to become. And this is a really hard thing for him. And some of you have that same fear. These are all fears that are valid. Fear of death? Yeah. Fear of losing a loved one? Yeah. Fear of not being ready to do what God's calling you to do? Yeah. And it goes on and on. There's actually another scripture here where I, I love, well p- the, my wife talked about it last week. Remember then Jesus gets arrested. Peter uh, is standing before a fire with a, a little servant girl and he completely denies the fact that he even knows Jesus to a servant girl. Why? Because he's terrified for his own life at this moment. He he doesn't want to happen to him that just happened to him. Like I, I don't want that. And Have you ever not said what you knew you should have said when you knew you should have said it? Out of fear. And fear has ripple effects. Then it would get even worse for Peter and the disciples just two days later. Jesus is now in the tomb, and the disciples are in John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Like, they're together, and they're like, holy crap, what are we going to do? Like, if they find us, you realize, we're, did you double-check the door? The door's locked. Good, we're locked. Good. Out of fear for their own lives. And then it comes a knock at the door. And one translation actually says Jesus just walked through the door, which is pretty cool. Check that out for yourself. And uh, <laughs> I'm in, God, try to, I, I'm, yeah, uh, another day. Uh, and then Jesus says to him, uh, peace be among you. Peace be among you. Right, because that's exactly what's happening when Jesus just shows up, the dead dude with holes in his hands, right? Yeah, peace. I'm, I'd be freaking out of my mind. I'm trying not to drink any more coffee. So I'm like, man. All right, all right, uh, so here we go. Something happened last week that, that um, caused me to want to change this sermon completely into this series. My wife was talking about prayer, and she was talking, um, and at the end, we were talking about how we were going to do an altar call. And it was probably on us. This is probably not on you at all. But I do believe that I got a sense that God said something to me about our church And it may not have been what anyone did, but it scared me. And she was talking about how prayer is difficult if you do it without the Holy Spirit, because He's a partner, and prayer will be dry and boring and religious and calculated, and it's not a dance, and you're not being led to pray for anything. You're just getting through your prayers, and you're going to get tired of prayer very quickly if you don't do it with the Holy Spirit. But when you pray with the Holy Spirit, you're allowing him to lead you in the direction that you should be praying. And so he puts someone on your heart, you pray for them. He puts someone else on your heart, and you pray for them. And you do it in the way that he's teaching you how to pray. So we asked how many people uh, felt like they needed to be better at prayer, and uh, we got hands. And we said, hey, we want everyone to come down to the altar. And um, two people came down. Now, I love that... Um, th- that And the end of the service, there was like 500 people in the altar. And they were always crying out for God. I'm an evangelist. So there was at least 700 people here in the (laughs) altar last week. Um, Someone's like, that math ain't right, man. I don't know. Uh, And at that point, when we did the first and the only two people came down. I, I, I got like, I felt like something kicked me in the stomach and I got mad. I got mad at you guys, but not intentionally. I don't know what every other church marker is for a quality, good service. Um, if it's attendance, um, some people get really excited when they've got like a lot of people. And I do, I get excited when there's a lot of people in, but I always know that we ain't we're not church at the mall, y'all. You know what I mean? Like, we got 75 people here. Ah, it's great. You know, I don't, but I get excited about 75 people. And I'll be excited about 25 people. And anyways, anyway, here we go. So I don't know if it's giving that people get excited about. Like, oh, we have record giving. Fantastic. We have this going on. But I get excited when the altars are full. I feel like that's good church. And I want to make sure you understand why I'm saying that. When the altars are full, like throughout scripture, whenever there was an altar, you can never control what God was going to do on that altar. First of all, like you think about Isaac and Abraham, I think about uh, the Israelites moving the ark of the covenant back into the thing. Like crazy things always happen with the ark, and we never know what's going to be. I never know what's going to happen in an altar. But when we did an altar call last week and no one responded, I got a sense that it was out of fear of what God was going to do. And I hate that. And here's what I mean. I know that we live in Polk County. Now, I'm not a, I, haven't, I wasn't born here. I, I migrated here. And I know that there has been a lot of abuse in the altars in this county. And what I mean by that is that people have forced things on people in a way that's not healthy. If you go to a church where you believe people are forcing things on you, here, please, hear from your pastor. Don't come here. I don't want to force anything on you. If, and if, But I want to be where God can touch me, and I want to be with a bunch of people that are hungry enough for God to go after what they currently don't have. And I think that that happens most when people are willing to get out of their seats and pursue God. Now we're not doing an altar call today. But I want to read a scripture real quick for the, oh man. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 through 8. I told you that story and I wasn't supposed to. I was supposed to read you this verse, but here we go. This is pretty cool. Now, after six, this is a really cool passage of scripture. Jesus is about to die and he's praying. And when Jesus is praying crazy, It's a crazy atmosphere. Here we go. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. That's powerful alone. His face was shown like the sun. Man. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them what this is crazy this is crazy things going on right here and then peter answered and said to jesus lord is it good for us that if we wish you here if if, i'm sorry lord it is good for us is it good for us to be here if you wish let us make three tabernacles one for you one for moses one for elijah First of all, they're missing it. Like these guys are showing up because they get to stand in Jesus' presence and they're they're thinking that they should do something great for Moses and Elijah, and they're not understanding what's about to happen. Like they're coming to minister to Jesus because he's about to change the known world. And while he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now <laughs> like, you could freak out. Like, if you were praying with your friend, at my, let's say you were at my house praying. There's three or four of us hanging out, and my face began to change, and then I started, like, clothes turned color, and then my hair, like, grew, and then got, like, beautiful, right? Like, I give you permission to start freaking out, right? <laughs> and then other people show up magically out of the Bible, and then, like, they're talking to me, Permission to freak out. But then a cloud appears out of nowhere, hovers over top of you, and begins to start talking. Now, anytime in the Bible God the Father talks, I don't know about you, but I hear the voice of James Earl Jones. This is, I don't know how to do This is my beloved son. I don't know how to do James Earl Jones. But y'all know what I'm talking about, like, feel the dreams guy. And, like, he's just the best, you know. Not Darth Vader, James Earl Jones, but, like, I don't know. Anyways, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Then the disciples heard it. They fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. And I don't, I don't ever know what God's about to do. And in scripture, like the things that Jesus did, I didn't understand what he was about to do when he did them. But I know that God is calling me to do great things and I'm not currently prepared for it and I need him. And if we, as a church, as the Wake Community Church, if we reach a point where we have become good enough and don't need God, I don't want you in my church. I don't know how to say that any enough. If you've reached the point where you've you've arrived, either you need to start talking or you need to... Go some, I don't know, but like, that's dangerous, y'all. We don't ever reach the point where we've arrived. Like, we are always still learning. We are always still hungry. We are always still in need of God perfecting us and sanctifying us and transforming us and renewing us. And get, like, I don't have what the world out there needs me to have yet. When I hear stories of who Peter became, When he's walking down the street and his shadow is casting an anointing on people that are getting healed, I don't have that Jesus yet. Maybe you do, but I want to be able to make a difference in people's lives that are currently struggling in their marriage, that are struggling to fight depression, that are struggling in their finances, that like I want to make that difference and I don't have what they need yet. Did I say that right? Okay. Sometimes I get over excited and then I say things that I listen to on the podcast and I'm like, man, I shouldn't <laughs> I hit my head. I was okay. And it's this altar thing, I, I think some of us need to know that God is calling us to do something great and we are afraid of what He's gonna do. And I want you to know that fear is real. And the things that he is calling you to do, let let me say it this way. If God is asking you to do something, you should feel a little unqualified at the birth of that vision. Because it's kind of a big deal if he's asking you to do something. Now, most of the time what I have found in my life, and this may be untrue for some of you, but I found that... He starts by asking me to do something small, and my obedience graduates me to do greater things. For example, right now, there is someone in your life that God is asking you to deliver a message to. It may be danger. You're in danger. You need to stop doing what you're doing. It may be that, that they are loved or that they're capable and what you do with that message is really important, but a lot of times fear takes over and we feel like maybe it's just me. Well, what would wisdom say, first of all? Is there anything wrong with telling them that they're awesome and that they're beautiful and that they're great? You ain't even got to add the word of the Lord to it. Just tell them that they're awesome and that they're beautiful and that they're loved by God. Is there, what would wisdom say about the sin that they're doing? Is it dangerous? Will it hurt them? Are there consequences? And why are we afraid to tell them? And fear comes in in these small doses, and we're afraid of what God is going to do in our life. And I think that it's terrible. And if we're going to become like Jesus, we're going to have to care less about what the world thinks and more about what he thinks if we're going to become like him and get to where he's calling us to be. Amen? David, King David. A man after God's own heart in scripture, right? One of the models of our faith, King David, he was known as a man after God's own heart. This guy did great things for God. Also, terrible things for the devil. Affairs. Dude, dude had an affair, and to cover it up, he killed one of his best friends. I don't know about you. I don't want that guy speaking in my church. But I want you to know, like, why is it important that God lets you know of their dirty laundry? Because he's not afraid of your laundry. And it doesn't mean that because of your past, it disqualifies you for your future. But some of you are terrified of what you've done and now you're afraid to walk forward. David wasn't afraid. David was the why was he a man after God's own heart? Because he was the best at putting himself on his face and crying, "Oh God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me." And David had real fears. What am I talking about real fears? He had enemies. Not enemies like, I don't like you. Not enemies like, I'm going to block you on Facebook. Enemies like, I'm getting thousands of people together, and we're going to come and burn your village and make all of you guys slaves. Real enemies. That's terrifying. Let me tell you what David said. It's fantastic. David said this, I sought the Lord, and he heard me. And he delivered me from all of my fears. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. He said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. Now, I want to make sure that you know, fears are real. There are fears that are happening in this church that when I say fear, you say, ah, I'm good. Let me explain fear. Fear of dying. There are some people in this room that are afraid to die. It's a real thought. It's a real thought. You know, fear can actually alter your body. Doctors would say today that the longer you allow anxiety and worry and fear, it will cause commotion in your body. Fear of dying can make you more sick. And that's a real fear. Like it's something worth, and some of you, the reason why I'm afraid to die is because I've got these kids or I've got this generation or I haven't made enough money to leave, leave anything behind. Like the scripture says, a, a, a godly man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Like I'm not ready for that yet. I haven't, I, I'm, I get it. The, the fear of rejection. You know what's terrifying is loving someone that doesn't love you back or wanting someone that doesn't want you back. It's terrifying and it makes you want to just like quit, like put the walls up. Like, you know what I know that I know that I know that's happening right here in our church? There are people that have been here for years and you're afraid to get involved in a connect group because of rejection because you reached out to someone and they didn't reach out to you back. You know what I love about Jesus? Everything that I'm dealing with in my life, he went through for me. Jesus literally was rejected in the worst way. And so be if I know he's going to be rejected. He's probably going to allow us to be rejected. And allow your rejection to take you closer to him, not further from him in his church. Like, I know people are terrified of being rejected. I'm going to reject you. It's not because I want to. It's because I'm man. I'm human. It's going to happen. We went witnessing yesterday. Sometimes I feel like because I'm going witnessing for Jesus... He's going to just magically make everyone I knock on their door say, oh, here you are. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I told everyone, I said, man, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I get, it's a promise of God, you are going to be rejected today. People are like, F you, get off my property. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that, but, but that's what it feels like. feels like it. Okay, fear of man is real. The fear of man, what are people going to think of me? What are people going to think of me? If I say this, what are people going to think of me? It's a real fear. Fear of failure. Fear of failure drives people in such a way right now in our culture. And it's so bad because we have this perfectionist, we have this like excellence drive, that if we are failing in any way, shape, or form, what it does is it throws us into a tizzy. And so most of the time, if we start off with an insecurity, it becomes a fear that we live in in a way that it doesn't paralyze us anymore. It just confuses us. So the fear of failure can actually drive you in a way that you're, you're operating in chaos. And I need God. David said, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all of my fears. Some of you currently have the fear of your kids becoming XYZ. Let me explain something to you. And I want to make sure that you hear this. I feel like this is a word of the Lord for some people here. You can't control your kids and you're not supposed to. They're going to get hurt and that's part of life. If you control them, they will resent you. Bottom line. The father doesn't control you. And it's not your job to control them. It's your job to create an atmosphere where they can thrive in. But I promise, the more you control them, when that leash comes off, it's gonna come off ugly. Don't try to control. It will create fear is control. It's that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of rejection because we're afraid. Well, what if what if what if they don't like me the way I like them? I get it. And that's what it turns us into like this fear. I'm dealing. With, I'm going late right now. I'm sorry, but I'm dealing with my son who's... Uh, I'll come back to that. Uh, that's good stuff. John Wesley said this. If you don't know about historians in the scripture, when you read history, it's so cool. Uh, John Wesley is one of the greatest men of God that's ever lived. I mean, he is just awesome, I and mean, he is the, the founder of the Methodist Church. He said this. This guy was radical for Jesus. I have never known 15 minutes of fear without fear or anxiety. Whenever I feel those emotions overtake me, I just close my eyes and I thank God that he is still on the throne and reigning over everything. And I take comfort in his control over all my affairs. He said, I've never known 15 minutes of fear without fear or anxiety. When I feel those emotions overtake me, I close my eyes and I thank God that he's still on the throne. I thank God that he does have control He's he may not be using it, but I thank God that He can rescue me and restore me at any moment. Cool. How do you deal with fear? I, I think you got to get people in your life that will pray for you. Here's a real fear. Uh, for when God called us to start this church, me and my wife. Um, we needed a job. We got a job, and I was making good money, and I was, it, was, it was great. And so we were bivocational. And for years, the church, uh, it struggled. It always hit a ceiling, and, and it, would, it would not work. And I, I really believe with all my heart, and I think most people that are closest to the church can tell that this is the best season that our church has ever had. Well, about a year ago, um, God called us for me to quit my job. I'm not telling you this. I'm only telling you this so you understand the reality of sometimes you can't control things. I was terrified because if I quit my job, my job is the man of the house is to provide for my family. Amen, men? I say that a man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. That's what the scripture says. I I don't like that. I'm going to provide for my family. It's my job. And I need insurance so my kids, in case they fall down and they get hurt. So I felt like it was my job. And, 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 and multiple people and friends in my life were saying, dude, I think it's time for you to quit your job. But man, it's not, I'm not going to make enough money for my family. I'm not going to be able to provide. I'm not going. What, what are we going to do? And we decided by faith with the board that I would step down from my job and not make enough money for my family. Now here's what you need to know. Since then... I am not making enough money to pay all of my bills month over month. I'm not doing it. I'm not asking that for sympathy. I want you to understand how it works when God calls you. One, don't do something stupid. I didn't make a stupid decision. First of all, I made a decision with my wife in unity, which is always the number one way you do things. Two, I made sure that godly people around me also We're in unity with what God was asking me to do. So when you are about to do something that you think is crazy, you make sure that people that you see Jesus in their life, they agree with you. And if you if they don't agree with you, then you just just take time. You ain't gotta save the world in a day. Take time. And people are like, hey, look, this is something you need to do, and we're doing it. Somehow we have more money in our bank than we had when we, but we don't, we're not making enough money. And I, I, I can't explain it. I am currently not making enough money to pay my bills, and I have more money in my bank than I did when I started. Amen. Why I'm saying that is God is calling you to do things that's going to terrify you. Finances is scary. Some of you are freaking out of your mind right now, and you have a choice. Am I going to obey God, or am I going to... And I'm sorry, but I don't think that God is, like, who's the guy, Tiffany, the financial guy that we like? Ramsey. Ramsey Ramsey says this. I love Ramsey. Ramsey's great. If you want to know about finances, listen to Ramsey. He's a good godly dude. He always says that when you are close-fisted, God can't put anything in your hands. When you open your hands, God can bless you. He can multiply. When you are willing to give, he can also give to you. I think that is so true. Some people are terrified. I work for this. This is mine. I have, you don't understand the way God's kingdom operates. Like, give and it will be given. But when you're tight-fisted and frustrated and, ah, it's ugly. It creates panic. It creates fear. It, no. Let it go. Let it go. Trust the Lord. Fear is real. And what happens is fear starts as an insecurity, and it grows, and what happens is is it will create conversations that you shouldn't even have. It'll send you on a wild goose chase, frustrated. Here's a cool thing. There's a lady, Beth Moore. She wrote a book years ago, like a while ago, and uh, she's a super good author. Beth Moore, read her books, she's good she said that she was having this problem with fear. She was having this reoccurring thought all the time that she couldn't possibly shake. The fear was that she was gonna lose her husband, that he was gonna die. And she said, man, it was really terrifying like he's the provider in our home And what am I going to do and how am I going to raise these kids and I can't do it by myself and I'm where's the money going to come from and what's going to happen and so what began to happen is she was getting frustrated with her husband because of a fear she was having this is normal like we do this as people and that that fear turned into like anger and she she began to, to realize that she had to deal with it and so she's dialoguing with the Lord one day and she believes that she entered into a conversation with God where God was speaking back to her. And she's like, God, he, I, I, I can't let, if anything happens to him, I mean, this is going to be awful. And God said, what would happen? That was what God answered her. She was sitting in a chair, she's praying, and she's, God said, well, what would happen? And she'd be like, well, it'd be terrible. If he died, I would would go into a room, I would not eat for months, I would would just stay there for a whole month in my room and I would be so depressed, I wouldn't eat, I'd be scared, I would cry all the time and I'd be depressed. And God said to her, and then what? Well, then I would not leave for another month and I would be so angry and I'd be so scared and I'd be so confused. And God said, "And, and then what? And then what? Here's the reality is, whatever fear you're, you're worried about, it's gonna work out. Like, you're worried you're gonna lose your job? Here, here, you please hear me. It feels a lot of times like the people that we work for, if we lose that job, our world crashes. And if that happens, that's a good thing for you because your house was built in the sand not on the rock and i know that i don't like always wish that on people but i wish that on people because sometimes you need it to fall apart before you can realize that you've been doing it wrong and so sometimes we think well I, if i say this to my boss if i know that people are cheating and i and i come correct and i call them out on the floor like what will happen is they'll 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 shortcut me out, I'll lose my job, and they won't like me. And it, listen, if God's calling you to have integrity and you don't open your mouth out of fear of what your boss is going to think or do or say, shame on you because you're not stepping into who God's calling you to do or what he's calling you to do, and now you're losing your integrity because of the integrity of others. If you lose that job, he is your provider, not Walmart or XYZ or UPS or whoever, like you've got to learn the Jehovah Jireh. And in this season of my life, I'm learning that this church doesn't pay my bills. You guys don't pay my bills. I work for Jesus and that's it. And you guys have a ministry. You're working for Jesus. When you go to UPS, when you go to Walmart, when you go to Publix, that is a ministry. And you are called to minister to those people that you work with. And if you forget that out of fear of what they're going to think of you, you're missing it. You're missing your calling. And make no mistake about it. This is not the only ministry going on. Tomorrow you are called to be anointed of God. And if we fear what's going to happen or what God's going to do or what he's going to say or what they're going to think, we're going to miss it. I felt like I need to say two more things. Rachel, would you come? One, please remember this. I've said this like six times in our church. It is one of the most real quotes I've ever heard in my life. The dude's name is Reinhard Bunke. Anyone ever heard of Reinhard Bunke? He is currently the greatest evangelist on the face of the earth. He has led more altar calls where more than three million people have responded to Jesus in one service. What God is doing in this man's life is unprecedented ever. And he asked, he said, God, he was in prayer. He believes God spoke to him. He said, God, why would you call me? I'm not ready. And God said, I did call others, but they didn't answer. And I always think, oh, God, because I don't believe I'm the best preacher in this room. but I am right now. And you got to know that you're better at whatever he's calling you to do than you think you are. And I know there's a lot of people that are holding back. Last week when we saw that altar call, I think people are scared out of their mind, out of what God would do if you said yes. And I think there's people out there dying and going to hell, waiting for you to, to, you need what he wants to put in you. You don't have it yet. And I know you're scared because what if God uses you? And what if... I'm scared too. Two thoughts. One, there's a scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It's so powerful. It says this. I've got to hurry this up. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Now here's what you need to know. I believe as a pastor I meet with a lot of people on a weekly basis. You may not believe this, but there are such things as spirits. The Bible says that fear is a spirit. Some of you are like, "Well, can a, can a godly person have an unclean spirit?" Well, if Peter operated in fear often and he led the church, yep, I qualify. I can be scared. I can be terrified to the point where I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Anointed people all the time don't confess Jesus out of fear. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now I ask you, hear this. What we fear most determines what we value the most. What are you afraid of? Is it your life? Is it dying? Is it losing your money? Is it losing your job? Is it not being liked? Is it that your kids won't grow up to be great? What are you afraid of? What are you trying to control? If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, I'm telling you, you're going to have to trust the Lord's leading. And I'm going to ask you, in that area of what you fear... Do you have a sense of power? Do you have a sense of love? And do you have a sense of sound mind? Because that is what the Lord gives. That's what he is giving right now. That's what he wants to take fear and bless you with authority, peace of mind, and love perfect love cast out all what we fear we value the most and where we fear is where we trust God the least